Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Female Health Podcast. Today, I am joined by a guest, Ina Toplier. Now, Ina is a functional medicine nutritionist, um, and she specializes in thyroid issues um, like Hashimoto's and others. I'm very excited to have Ina on. Um, I said to her off air that I wish I had had known of her three years ago, because anyone who has listened to older episodes knows I have had my own thyroid journey. I had uh, Gray's disease, uh, which is a autoimmune thyroid condition. And it's, you know, quite a journey to get your health back with that, um, which a lot of I had to do by myself. But um, that's why I'm very excited to to speak with Ina, because it is a huge area. It's quite complex. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Um, Ina, thank you so much for coming on today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, it's going to be very good um, and helpful for a lot of people because, as I'm sure you know, so many, especially women, go suffer with thyroid issues. Um, it's, it's becoming very common. Um, and the support out there is, it's there's various different ways of supporting it. And I suppose going to maybe the conventional route, you may not get the answers that you're looking for. So before we get into all of that, do you want to like give us an introduction into um, what you do yourself, a little bit of how you got uh, specializing into the thyroid area? Absolutely. And a lot of it really has to do with what you just said, that there's not much support out there. And, you know, I started my health journey about 25 years ago when I was in my early 20s. And I just was having a lot of different issues. I worked on Wall Street at the time. I had a busy job, nothing crazy, just busy. But I was fatigued. I had IBS. I had headaches. I had PMS, like bad PMS, where, you know, once a month I'd have to almost take off work and just, you know, I would feel foggy and it, it was painful. I had very bad acne. I had sleep issues. I, um, you name it, basically. And I saw a primary. It actually ended up being three different primaries and they run blood work. They said everything was fine, but maybe I should go see a specialist. So I went to see a gastroenterologist for my digestion and I said, well, you have IBS. There's not much you can do. No one talked to me about changing my diet or trying anything. There's nothing you can do. Just have to learn to live with it. And then I was also getting a lot of yeast infections, which of course, as I know now, is all connected to the whole GI system, everything else. So they sent me to a gynecologist and they gave me medicine, um, which didn't really work, to be honest. I had really bad acne. So I went to a dermatologist. They gave me lots of antibiotics, which just made the yeast infections worse, right? And it was this like round and round and round thing. And then finally, I saw an endocrinologist and they said, oh, you have Hashimoto's. And I was like, hmm, okay, well, well, that's great. And they looked at me like, I'm sorry, what? And I'm like, no, I'm like, you, this, you're the first person who said like, I have actually something that we could do something about. I didn't know much about what Hashimoto's is. And just for everyone listening, it's an autoimmune disease where your own immune system attacks your thyroid and it makes your thyroid slow over time. And so I said, okay, well, how do we support my thyroid? What do we do? And the doctor said, well, your thyroid labs, they're actually normal. So yes, you have Hashimoto's and yes, your body's destroying your thyroid, but because your thyroid isn't completely destroyed yet or not destroyed enough for us to really give you thyroid medicine, guess what? We do nothing. As you can imagine, I wasn't very stoked um, by that conversation. And, you know, I, I was thinking, well, what, what do you mean we do nothing? And the doctor said, well, eventually your thyroid is going to get destroyed completely. And once your immune system destroys your thyroid, then and only then will I give you thyroid medicine. 
But for now, we just wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. So that's essentially my story, which basically took me to a lot of research. I found a naturopathic functional nutritionist. He was able to really look at everything and explain to me how everything in the body is connected because everything is connected. And we found out that I had, in addition to this autoimmune disease, I had parasites, I had candida, which is a type of yeast. I had uh, heavy metals and mercury, I had copper, I had nutrient, other nutrient deficiencies, I had hormonal imbalances. And all of those things were contributing to everything I was feeling. And on top of that, I wasn't eating very well. I was eating a very standard American type of diet. And so we went to work and it wasn't easy. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't that, oh, I snapped my fingers and I'm all better. It took a few years of working with him. You know, I went gluten-free. I started to cleanse my body, my liver, my digestive system. I, um, did a lot of nutrients that I was deficient in. We did some chelation for the metals and I started to get better and better and better and better. It took some time, but I did. And then I finished working with this practitioner and I said, you know, this is amazing what changes I feel. And I went back to school, but to be honest, not because I wanted to do this for work initially. I went back to school because I wanted to learn more so I could help myself even more because I wasn't quite a hundred percent. And I learned all of this. And then friends started asking, friends of friends started asking, you know, and then it sort of went from there. And now almost 20 years later, you know, I have a booked out practice and a podcast and course. So, you know, there's a lot there, which, you know, I'd love to share this information and, and help people because there's just really not that much out there. Yeah. You've been on a journey basically. And like, I can relate to it because yeah, like it took me a long time too. It definitely wasn't a click of the fingers where it was like, I'm better now once I took on like these changes and like some of the changes that you made back then like going gluten-free and things like that do you still implement them now do you is that something you still um still do I absolutely do so when it comes to Hashimoto's especially and really many autoimmune diseases there are a few different types of triggers that tend to be things that could trigger the immune system because when you think about autoimmunity it's not the organ's fault that it's being attacked. So yes, my thyroid is being attacked in your thyroid too. In Graves, Graves is just the opposite of Hashimoto's where your thyroid is hyper, but it's still an attack, right? So it's not our thyroid's fault that they're being attacked. It's the immune system that got confused because of different things, right? And started attacking it. Just like when someone has MS, it's not the brain's fault it's being attacked or an arthritis, it's not the joint's fault. And so the things that create that immune confusion There's, of course, many different things, but they can be put essentially in four different categories, and that's foods, infections, toxins, and stress. And so foods would be things that we are sensitive to or our body just doesn't like. And there is, not to kind of get too technical, but there's this term called molecular mimicry, or another word for that would be um, cross-reactivity. And that is if the body sees something and it knows it doesn't like it. For example, gluten for many people with Hashimoto's and other autoimmune disease, they have certain genes that make their body just genetically not predisposed to properly digest and process gluten. So even if they don't have symptoms outright from eating it, it could create this internal inflammation. And then when the body sees gluten, because we're genetically not predisposed to digest it, about 40% of the population, believe it or not, has that gene, 30 to 40, then it actually starts to attack the gluten because it says, wait, you're bad. Like, I don't like you. And where this molecular mimicry or cross-reactivity comes in is that there is some similarity with the gluten molecules 
and our thyroid. Not identical by any means, but there's just a little bit of similarity. And believe it or not, you don't need that much similarity to create that confusion. Mm -hmm. So as the body then attacks the gluten, because genetically we're not supposed to eat it, then it also then accidentally attacks the thyroid at the same time and it creates more destruction. Yeah. So I've tested myself and uh, you know people can do that through looking at the DQ2 and the DQ8 genetics and I have the DQ2. Interestingly, my husband has, no, I'm sorry, I have DQ8. My husband has the DQ2. Okay. So my poor children have both. <laughs> but um, which, you know, I just never introduced gluten. We're essentially a gluten-free house. Right. Yeah. And the, right now it's pretty simple. I mean, when I started 20 years ago, we didn't have all the different health food stores or 25 years ago, even like we didn't have as many options as we do. And I was harder. Now it honestly, it doesn't phase me anymore. Yeah. I just kind of think of it as I don't eat it. Like not that, oh, poor me. Yeah. I can't eat it. Like I just don't. Yeah, And yeah. it's been working really well. Yeah. Okay. Um, Interesting that you can get those tests done. And I don't know, like, you know, you probably have to work with a functional medicine nutritionist or um doctor to get those tests done, probably like to test for those genes, wouldn't you? Uh, typically, yes. I mean, there are some labs that you can order your own mm. blood work or your own test. So there yeah. may be something for that test. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. even conventional doctors, if they're just even a little bit open, can order that. I know in the US uh, specifically, it, it's usually done through a cheek swab, but with a regular lab, like a Quest or a LabCorp, it can be done through blood. Okay. So I'm sure that that's available um, yeah. in the around the world as well. Yeah. So I guess we kind of jumped jumped ahead a little bit, and I guess people listening um, are like wondering a bit maybe more about the thyroid, and um, we could just talk about it on a generic level and keep it short and sweet, really, and then maybe go into lab testing and how you can go into get your 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 thyroid test done have a lot of symptoms but be told everything is normal so I, that's so so common as you know yourself so if we could go to that area that could be really helpful i think absolutely so with thyroid, just as a general thing, our thyroid is responsible for literally everything in the body. Most people know thyroid and metabolism, yeah. but there's so much more than that. It, literally from our heart to our toe, we need thyroid hormones. So we need it for energy. We need it for proper hormone balance, proper menstruation. We need it for our hair, for our skin. We also need it for our liver. Um, our liver needs to make sure that it's processing all the toxins we're exposed to. And if we don't have enough thyroid hormone, our liver can actually become sluggish. And then we retain those toxins instead of excreting it. We yeah. need it for our digestive system. So motility, making sure we're moving our bowels, our gallbladder, which is responsible for producing, uh, well, storing really bile, which helps to emulsify the fats that we eat and absorb our fat-soluble vitamins. So if we don't have enough thyroid hormone, we can actually have fat digestion issues. We can also have high cholesterol. Most people think, oh, cholesterol, I need medication. And yes, you know, in some cases perhaps, but if your thyroid is off, your cholesterol is going to be higher. Yeah. Our mood is a really, really big, it has a huge relationship to our thyroid. So depression, anxiety, a lot of these types of things. I mean, yes, there can be circumstantial things obviously that cause that, but when our thyroid is off, our neurotransmitters aren't going to be balanced. Yeah. Um, Leaky gut is another big thing that I think people may have heard about where we may have a lot of different food sensitivities and 
um, the gut literally becomes leaky where it has little tiny holes in it and then food seep through and that's how we become sensitive and we can have overgrowth of different bacteria and yeast in the body. Well, guess what maintains the membranes in our body? Our thyroid hormone. So a lot of people say, oh, I take all these supplements for my leaky gut and I do all this and that's wonderful. But if you don't have enough thyroid hormone, and by the way, too, when I say enough, not just enough to be here, right? You want to have enough to be optimal, which we'll get into in a second. So that will create more leaky gut. And there's also a membrane that surrounds our brain. And if we don't have enough thyroid hormone, that membrane can become leaky. And then hello, brain fog. Yeah. Right. So people yeah. wonder, why am I so foggy? Why can't I think? Why can't I remember? And thyroid just has such a big relationship because of that membrane. Because otherwise, if that membrane is not intact, toxins are going to get into the brain. They don't belong there. And that will absolutely make you feel foggy. Yeah. I think for anyone listening, you know, who is experiencing, you know, constant digestive issues and menstrual problems consistently, like you had originally, um, you know, and constipation or, and brain fog, it's a sign that like things are not working. It's your body kind of screaming at you, get so- something looked at here. You know, these are meant to be functioning quite well um, systematically, uh, but the, the, the logs and the, they started to be blocked. Basically the, the system has been blocked somewhere in, in your body. And, like it pretty much could start with the thyroid and it is kind of the master of your overall metabolism, which controls, like you said, everything. So if there's like things going off in the body, there may be a good chance it's something to do with your thyroid, whether or not that shows up on bloods or not. And this is what we can get into next, um, you know, blood work, because, you know, I, I've seen it so time and time again, symptoms of thyroid problems, but you know, your TSH is fine. Your T4 is fine within the range, but it may not be like you were kind of alluding to their optimal. And this is what we should be looking for, isn't it? Optimal results rather than just, oh, you're in the range. It's maybe not perfect, but it's, you know, it's, it's fine. You're, you're not in any danger, but we want to be feeling the best we can be. That's what optimal is. So yeah, let's have a little bit chat about that and what, what to look out for here. Mm-hmm. So yes, exactly. With lab ranges, we have to understand that they are very wide because they really try to um, account for about 95% of the population. So for example, TSH, the range for TSH is between 0.5 and usually 4.5, sometimes five, depending on the lab, depends on what country you're in or what part of the country you're in. So that means if you're 0.6 or if you're 4.4, you would be considered normal. Mm -hmm. But what a huge stretch that is from 0.6 to 4.4, right? And when you look at a lot of research and look at what really optimal is, and there's going to be an optimal for every thyroid marker, but for TSH, it's going to be usually between about 1.8 and 3. And if you're already on thyroid medicine, then it's typically between about 0.5 and 3. Thyroid medicine will suppress TSH, so it's okay for that to be a little bit lower. But 3 is that upper limit. So for those that are 3.5, 3.6, and they're seeing a conventional doctor, and they say, oh, you're fine, you're fine, that's an indication there is something happening. You know, it may not be, wow, you're really off the chart. But I think it's also important to understand that every person is going to have different types of um, kind of sensitivity to their hormones. So for someone, a 3.6 is not too bad. They may feel okay. For someone else, a 3.6, they can feel awful. 
right? So, you know, if someone's used to having a really high TSH, which of course is not good for them, 3.6 could be okay, right? But for most people, you know, even a little bit off is, is a problem. And then the other part is that most doctors aren't testing all of the different thyroid markers. And that's really, really important because TSH, believe it or not, is not even really a thyroid hormone. It's a pituitary hormone, right? So our hypothalamus is going to stimulate our pituitary. Our pituitary is then going to stimulate our thyroid to produce hormones via the TSH. So TSH is a pituitary hormone. And then once the PS, uh, TSH stem, stimulates the thyroid, our thyroid then is going to produce two hormones, T4 and T3. Many doctors will test T4, but not many will test T3, right? So what is that? Well, T4 is actually a pro-hormone and T3 is our active hormone. Now, our thyroid produces both, but our thyroid mostly produces T4. It doesn't produce much T3. And the reason for that is because if it produced T3 right here, it would be taken up right by the cells here. And then we wouldn't have enough to go to the rest of the body. So our body is so smart. It actually takes the T4 and it brings it to other areas of the body, like our liver, for example. And there in the liver, it converts the T4 into T3. And then from there that T3 has to get carried to the cells and then it has to absorb into the cells. So there's all these different processes that happen. So if someone just tests TSH, and even if it is in the optimal range, say it's a two, okay, that's great. But what about T4? And how are you converting to T3? And then how are you taking that T4 and T3 and actually getting it into your cells? Because that's this whole other process. And so for that reason, I always recommend getting a full thyroid panel. So what is a full thyroid panel? Well, that's going to be TSH. It's going to be T4, both in the total form and in the free form. And the total form is the form that's bound to proteins. And then free form is what's available to the cells. And you want to see both. So you could see what's happening, how much you have and what's available. And then the same for T3, total T3 and free T3. I would say that would be the minimum. If we can, and we could press the doctor a little bit more, a reverse T3 is really helpful. That's almost kind of like the overflow valve. So the reverse T3 is the opposite of T3. And we want to make sure that that's not too high so that it doesn't offset it. And then there's another marker called T3 uptake, which can kind of look at some hormonal things. And then additionally, we want to look at thyroid antibodies. So with Hashimoto's um, and Graves also, the way we diagnose that is if we have the presence of thyroid antibodies. So for Hashimoto's, it would be the TPO, which stands for thyroid peroxidase antibodies and thyroglobulin antibodies. And then for Graves, it would be TSI antibodies. It is more common to have Hashimoto's than Graves. Yeah. So those are tested much more often. But you know, if you've never had it tested at all, I think testing all three, if at all possible, would yeah. be good. And, you know, some of the reasons why people can have all these symptoms and, you know, they say that our labs are normal would be, you know, first that they're not optimal, like we were saying. And the second is that maybe TSH is tested and it's normal, but the others aren't tested. So we don't know that someone can have a really low T3. And then the third reason is that if they have Hashimoto's, which 
by the way, about 85 to 90% of people with hypothyroidism have Hashimoto's. They just don't know it because it's not tested. But Hashimoto's is the leading cause of hypothyroidism because your thyroid gets destroyed, it becomes hypo. So it's important to see. But here's the other thing. If your thyroid labs really are normal, your TSH is okay, your T4 is okay, your T3 is okay, but you have thyroid antibodies, meaning you have Hashimoto's, you can have all the different thyroid symptoms, even though your thyroid is normal. And the reason is because when you have Hashimoto's, even if it hasn't destroyed your thyroid enough to show up in labs that TSH is off, it still creates a lot of inflammation and a lot of attack. That inflammation and attack will create those symptoms, the brain fog, the fatigue, the hair loss, the menstrual issues, the skin issues, right? It could be literally from A to Z and the TSH may not yet be affected. Now, that doesn't mean that the person needs medicine at the time, right? Because DSH may not be affected. But what we need to do is we need to support that immune system so that it can slow down the attack or stop it. And, you know, in a lot of cases, we can do that. Yeah. And not wait for the inevitable then to happen if we left mm-hmm. it untouched or without treating it or managing it. Yeah. Um, so there's so many things we could break off into here. And I'm aware, like, there's a few different topics that I want to discuss, I guess. If we're to like, if you could somehow um, look at how we can support a better immune system um, and how we can maybe look at like dietary and lifestyle strategies, brief enough, I guess, because it's so broad, isn't it? Probably depending on the different types that you have as well. Um, and I know we haven't gone into the different types of thyroid issues. Do we have time to do that? Would you want to talk about those? And then maybe we could talk about the strategies, actually. That might make more sense in terms of um, the sequence. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. So uh, when we look at thyroid issues, usually a doctor will say, oh, well, your thyroid is either normal or it's slow, Yeah. right? So it's two things. And when, you know, and it's certainly like that's part of it, but a slow thyroid can mean a lot of different things. So as we just discussed, you know, we have our TSH, it stimulates the thyroid to produce T4. We have to then convert to T3. We have to then absorb the hormones, right? There's all these steps. So someone can have a slow thyroid, but their issue could be their TSH is off or their issue could be that they're not converting to T3 or their issue can be that they're not maybe absorbing thyroid hormone, right? And so what I really love to talk about and what I teach people and what I help people with is figuring out their thyroid type because as I'm sure you can guess with everything else, right? It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So even if someone doesn't need medication, in a lot of cases, people don't, it's not like you would take a supplement or a certain food if you have this type thyroid type versus if you have another, right? Because we all have different sort of slowdowns, if you will. And so the more that we support those individually, the better are going to be our results. So there are actually five thyroid types that I find to be the most common. And of course, I mean, there's others, but these are the ones that I see all the time. And so why don't we go through them? Yeah. And I'll tell you a little bit about what they are and some of the symptoms associated with them. So I would say the... um most common is actually what I call the all normal thyroid type with Hashimoto's. And that is what we were saying. Your thyroid labs are actually normal. TSH is good. T4 is good. T3 is good, but you have thyroid antibodies. This is one that people are always stumped 
and very frustrated because they go to doctor and they're told what I was told, you're fine. But yet you have all the symptoms. So what I want to tell you, if that's you, is that you're not crazy, right? Like there is a reason for that. And that reason is that the inflammation from the Hashimoto's is creating the symptoms. So for you, if this is you, it's the immune system support, right? It's balancing the immune system to stop or slow down that inflammation because actual thyroid support may not be necessary yet. And hopefully if we do that, never, right? Because then we won't need it. So that's really, really common, but often very missed because a lot of times people don't ask to get their thyroid antibodies tested and the doctors don't do it unless you ask oftentimes. So they just really want to drive this point home, how important it is to check because so many more people have it than they realize. Um, The next most common one is the low T3 type. And so as the name suggests, it means that you don't have enough T3. So your TSH may be okay. Your T4 may be okay, most likely, but you're not converting from T4 to T3. And when you see a conventional doctor, they will typically not even test T3. They'll test TSH and T4 and they'll say, you're fine. What are you talking about? Everything's great, right? And then you test T3 and it's really low. T3 is that active hormone. It goes to all of your cells. Now, in this case, the way you would support it would be different, right? With the Hashimoto's all normal type, you support the immune system. Here, if you also have Hashimoto's, you would support the immune system, but you may not have Hashimoto's. So what you would want to support is that conversion from T4 to T3. And there's a lot of different things. Um, You know, it converts in the liver and in the gut. So we do some liver and gut support. Um, There are certain minerals that are required for support like selenium and zinc. So if someone is deficient in those, that could be helpful, but very, very different than the other thyroid types. Yeah. The other one that I see is the high TSH type. Now this type actually has even subtypes to it, but not to get too complicated, essentially it would be a TSH that is greater than three. So there are, there's a subtype of high TSH that's above the lab range, above 4.5. This is something that any doctor will flag. If they see a high TSH, they will say, okay, something's going on. Let's give you medicine. Let's support it. So that usually is taken care of, but the ones that are between a TSH of three and 4.5 oftentimes are missed. Right. So there may not be necessary um, medicine, but there can be supplements to support that, like glandulars or certain minerals that could be good, but they would be very different than the low T3 types because we're supporting that pituitary to thyroid TSH versus the conversion. And then there's this other subtype of high TSH where the TSH is sky high, but the thyroid hormones or other hormones are normal. And that could be due to inflammation. A lot of times people get put on thyroid medicine. And they may not need it for that subtype because it could be the inflammation. And if you support that, it reduces. So again, for each one, different type of support. Um, Now, another one that I see often is what I call the unavailable thyroid type. And this one actually is very related to PCOS, which I know you talk a ton about, and I know a lot of your audience is something, you know, they struggle with this a lot. And so what this means is that you would have a normal TSH with this thyroid type and you would have a normal T4 and T3, but the free hormones, the free T4 and free T3 would be off and low usually. And what that means is that the hormones overall are there, but what's available to the cells isn't. It gets unavailable, hence the name, the unavailable. And why this is so related to PCOS is because 
very often it's other hormone imbalances, like imbalances in estrogen and progesterone that actually create that. And so what happens is because of those other hormone imbalances, you're having, you know, those menstrual issues, right? And, or not menstruating and all of the different things that go along with it. And then on top of that, you also have a thyroid issue, which is secondary. And then when that's not fixed, because we need thyroid for hormones, it leads to more hormone imbalance, which leads to more slower thyroid symptoms. And then it's this vicious cycle that goes round and round and round. And is there a connection between um, that type of thyroid and insulin as well or insulin resistance? Mm -hmm. Do you know? Uh, There can be, there can be for sure. And then we also see with this thyroid type, a lot of um, fertility issues, which, you know, of course can come with PCOS. Um, We also see this thyroid type come up post um, like IVF and things like that with a lot of synthetic or like high hormones being given at all. Um, But, you know, I think with the high insulin, that thyroid type can be related, but I think almost any thyroid type can be related to that because you need thyroid hormone for metabolism and for proper liver function, right? Which would also then relate to glucose management. So that's so informative and so interesting. And I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh my God, wow. Like, why do we not know this stuff? And um, a lot of that is even you know, in news to me, like as well, like particularly, I just, I'm so interested in the, um, the low free T3 and T4, which is what's quite most common in PCOS, right? Um, so in your, in your practice or what you do, what is the the strategy for management with that? What's your, your approach with that? And why you said it may be because of the imbalances in sex hormones that kind of may be a driver of that leading the lower T3, T4. So is it management of the sex hormones or is that what you do? Yes. Well, so typically, and everyone of course is a little different, but there's usually some type of a relative imbalance between estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And I think when we think of PCOS, we often think, oh, high testosterone, but that's not always the case. I mean, it can be for sure. Right. And then we look at how that hormone, like where it's coming from and how it's being created and how it's being degraded. But there's also a lot of higher estrogen with PCOS as well. And, you know, it's not even, I would say high estrogen. It's more that the estrogen is higher in relativity than some of the other hormones because you can have low estrogen, but it could still be higher than where the progesterone is. And so there is still that sort of estrogen dominance that happens. And how this is related is that when you have that, we actually have more sex hormone binding globulin. And so that helps to bind our hormones. And when we have higher hormones, we have more binding of them. That binding agent can also bind up the thyroid hormone, like the thyroid binding globulin. So we have all these hormones, but because they're all bound up, they're not available. So they're not free. So that's that relationship there. So Um, You know, there's not a specific supplement that can just lower the binding hormone, but there is a lot of things that we can do to help with some of the high other hormones, estrogen and testosterone. And for some people, it could be the production of those hormones that is often too high. But for a lot of people, it's the metabolism of those hormones, right? So how are we getting rid of them? How are we detoxifying them? Because every day we're going to produce more, but if we're not detoxifying them, those pathways are clogged and we can't get it out of the body. Well, guess what? It's going to build up and we create a dominance. So it's that support that then will directly impact 
that so thyroid it's like too. Liver and gut work to kind of support the metabolism and removal mm-hmm. from the body. Yeah. 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 That's super. Um, I think that's going to be so, so helpful um for anyone with PCOS and having thyroid problems. And you know, it's not about just I think what you're really getting across, it's really not just about looking at the thyroid in isolation. It's looking at all of the parts of the body that their role in this thyroid and it's not just one thyroid hormone or two like TSH and T4. There's so much more there and there's so much more parts of the body that are involved in that. Um, so we kind of touched on there the PCOS and thyroid connection. Um, and I think that kind of pretty much in a way clears up a lot of the the relationship there. It was not clears it up, but connects the relationship there. Um, I guess moving into then like fertility and thyroid problems. And uh, this is something that's very, very common, but can be mislooked or, you know, not, um, you know, ever highlighted to a client or a patient when they go to their GP, when they check their their bloods, that everything's fine, but maybe it's not an optimal, optimal range for fertility. Um, what's your thoughts on this and the connection between the thyroid and fertility? Mm, so much there. I can, I can't tell you like the amount of cases I've seen where someone has gone through multiple IVF cycles failed. Right. And then I see them, we work on things and some of them are in their forties and they get pregnant naturally, which is like, what's like how, but there's, there's such a big connection there because well, a few things. So first is that usually if they even see a fertility doctor, the doctor will test TSH. And if their TSH is in range, they won't even go there, right? So chances are they actually have one of the thyroid types and thyroid is such an issue. So our thyroid is instrumental in bringing up the best eggs. So we are born with all of the eggs that we're going to have. However, when we ovulate, we will pull out the eggs for that cycle, but that there's a little bit of a lag. It takes about three months for that selection and so the body's going to 90 days before is going to select the eggs to come up. And then those eggs are going to come up over the next few cycles when the body's out of balance. And that could be, of course, with anything, but thyroid, especially if we don't have enough thyroid hormone, the body doesn't see itself as optimal. And so the priority is to fix that, right. And to do what the body needs to do. Fertility is not going to be priority. And so the body will literally not pick the best eggs because it's just, our bodies are so intelligent. They're so smart. And it's thinking, well, why would I pick the best eggs when the chances of these eggs surviving and a healthy pregnancy to happen, you know, when you don't have enough thyroid hormone is slim. So it's actually going to select eggs that are subpar. I mean, it's, I'm generalizing, but, but that's kind of in a nutshell what that is. So um, I often tell people too, once we do realize there's a thyroid issue, which I can't even tell you probably like, over 50% of people with fertility issues, when I see them, I'm like, yep, there's a thyroid. No, they missed it, but there it is. There it is, this type or this type. And we work on supporting it. And then I ask them to wait three months before trying if they can, ideally, so that then we can have that 90-day period of having really good thyroid hormones to show the body, hey, look, we're good. We fixed it. All right, come on, (laughs) pick the best eggs, you know? Wow. Um, Yeah, that's super interesting. And yeah, the connection between the thyroid and the ovaries is obviously there's a big uh, relationship there. And the hypothalamus too, hypothalamus, pituitary, thyroid, ovarian axis, it's all mm-hmm. linked, and isn't adrenals, it? Yeah, yeah adrenals, of course. So I guess this kind of might, you know, anyone going through fertility, um, it's very stressful, isn't it? Our fertility issues. But then stress, of course, is a massive driver of the problem too, isn't it? So the body again senses we're stressed, 
it's not optimal to produce the best egg or, you know, release the best egg right now because fertility would not be a good idea or having pregnancy wouldn't be a good idea when they're so stressed. So is this, there is this how stress impacts the, impacts, I suppose, the thyroid and fertility? What's the connection between stress for, because for me, I think stress was the biggest driver for my Graves disease, my immune attack really on my thyroid. Um, And when I relieve stress, everything else started to finally subside. So um, yeah, what's uh, what's your thoughts on that as a a lifestyle factor towards uh, Mm -hmm. thyroid issues and and infertility, but thyroid issues in general without fertility too? Yeah, well, I think because stress is one of the big categories as an immune trigger, um, in addition to you know infections and toxins and foods that we talked about, but stress is one of those. And I know everyone says, "Oh, yeah, you're just stressed." And I think we downplay that quite a bit, yeah, because we're like, "Yeah, I know I'm stressed, but everyone's stressed, so what? Like, let's move on." But if we think about it from a physiological perspective, well, what is stress? Well, stress is when our cortisol, which is our stress hormone, goes up. So if you think back to caveman times, right, they would be stressed if they're literally being chased by a tiger, right? So what would the body do? There's literally a tiger right here, right, coming at us. Well, our body is going to, number one, send the blood to our hands and our feet so we can either fight the tiger or run away. Right. So blood's not going to go to the ovaries to produce the best eggs or our digestive system to digest our food or our metabolism to like help us lose weight or our immune system. Right. We're going to go into fight or flight. Now, also, as the blood goes to our hands and feet, it's also going to thicken. Why? Well, so that if the tiger bites us, we're not going to bleed to death. Right. Our body's also going to change our pH. So when we have that fight or flight cortisol, high cortisol, our pH will become more acidic. Why? Because if the tiger bites us, we're not going to taste as good, right? So there's all of these physiological things that happen. And so what happens when the body's more acidic over time, right? Well, that creates a lot of issues, right? Because we want to be more alkaline. So that's going to create inflammation. That's going to create all sorts of digestive issues and other things like that. You know, thick blood, that's not good for many things, right? Cardiovascular disease, just in general, like circulation. Um, and then when you think about other things like fertility, that's on the back burner, digestion's on the back burner, weight loss is on the back burner because literally the body is trying to survive. That's it. It's just trying to survive when you're in fight or flight. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're in fight or flight because it becomes their new normal. So, um, yeah, that's very, very true. You know, you ask someone of this stress, not really, you know, but then if you break down what their day looks like, it could be early starts, a, a workout on an empty stomach, caffeine first thing, and maybe a low protein breakfast or no breakfast, not eating till one in the day. And then it's work, 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 laptop screens, um, you know, family life, relationship struggles, money struggles, the whole lot thrown in there. Yeah. But that's your day-to-day life. So it's your norm. It's not stressful. But all of those things accumulated together are massive stressors on your body and from a physiological point of view. Yeah, 100%. And then I think we also have to remember that stress isn't just emotional, it's physical too. So yeah. like you mentioned, you know, eating in a way that's not balanced, not eating enough protein, not balancing blood sugar. Blood yeah. sugar dysregulation is one of the biggest stressors on the body. And I know you talk about this a lot on your show, um, but a lot of people don't realize that. So they think, oh yeah, I'll just skip a meal or I'll eat or this or that. Like 
that's a huge stressor. You know, that could be as big as money problems or marital problems or whatnot from an emotional perspective. Yeah. I'm so like, it's the cornerstone of my course. What I teach anyone who comes work with me is blood sugar regulation, because I feel once that is corrected, you're starting support overall equilibrium in the body and overall balance in the body and creating a bit of more of a a stable state for the body that it's not as stressed it's not producing stress hormones um, and everything else can start to get more balanced as a result of that too um so yeah I I think the connection between stress is huge so obviously for everyone it's going to be different and, and that's why I, I believe the physical ones are the ones that we can, can probably take more control of so we can stop maybe over exercising and we can stop you know eating in the way that isn't the best for us it's harder to reduce the stressors that are more emotional you know when I'm worrying about money and your family or a sick parent or a child all of those things they're much more difficult just you can't switch those off but that's why the ones that we can control I really try to educate and get that across so we can take action and at least eliminate some stressors on the body there will always be some there won't there be but you know, it's trying to balance it out as much as possible. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess to sum it up or to finish up, because, you know, we, as I, I said, like this is a topic that could take, you know, four or five podcast episodes really. Um, but if, you know, for generalization, really, what are some foods or nutrients that are really super important for the thyroid that people can start to, you know, um, include more often in their diet um, to yeah, support the function of the thyroid um, and the conversion of hormones and like the T4, T3 and things like that. And maybe a little bit of a chat around the immune system as well and how we can support that as well. So it's not overactivated or overstimulated. And I know that's kind of to do with different triggers. Like you mentioned, you have gone to that already, but yeah, maybe but the-, the food triggers are really big one, you know, and with that, and I don't want to say everyone should be gluten-free, but if you have Hashimoto's or Graves, then the gluten-free is very helpful um, and dairy-free as well, because that's something that can trigger the immune system to be very inflammatory and also something from a PCOS perspective that can really affect um, insulin and blood sugar. So um, that's very helpful. Now, if someone has a doctor who's willing to test their food sensitivities, of course, looking at that is also helpful. But if not, just going gluten and dairy-free can make a big difference. But also I like to add in foods, right? It's not about like taking away, taking away. Let's add some like really nutritious foods. So leafy greens are going to be huge because they have so many vitamins, so many minerals. They're so nutrient dense. I also love cruciferous vegetables and it's a myth that you can't eat cruciferous vegetables when you have a thyroid issue. So I'll just repeat that again. It's a myth. You can. And cruciferous vegetables are high in sulfur. They're great for detoxification. They're great for antioxidants, support antioxidants, help to really uh, protect all of our cells. So including more of those. And then berries, they're low in sugar. They're so high in nutrients. I love putting those in. Um, So that's something that I think can help whether you have Graves or Hashimoto's. And really, I think for almost any thyroid type, um, that would work. You know, there are more specific foods for other thyroid types, for example, like foods that are high in iodine, like kelp or seaweed and things like that. They could be good for those with a high TSH type, but you want to be careful with iodine and Hashimoto's, right? So there's all of these kind of nuances. Um, 
you know, things like Brazil nuts are really high in selenium. So selenium is helpful for T3 conversion. So if you're a low T3 type, eating more of that would be good. So it's a little bit kind of different, but I think from like a general perspective, more berries, more leafy greens, more cruciferous, less gluten, less dairy. I mean, it's basic, but if you're not sure where to start and you're just like, "Eh, I don't know, like try this and you will see a difference um, even just from that. Yeah. Okay. Great. I love the additions to add in because yeah, they're super nutritious foods and um, really going to be helpful. Um, so I think that will leave it there for now. Um, do you want to tell people about the, your course, how they can find you or, or work with you and uh, the different ways that they can work with you before we, we finish up? Sure, of course. So um, you could find much more information on my website, completenutritionandwellness.com. There are two ways that people can work with me. I have a virtual program, which um, I guide people through everything. We figure out your thyroid type, and then I have very customized support step-by-step-by-step for each type. Um, I do have one-on-one as well. I don't do as much of that, but that is available. But I also do these free webinars once a month. Um, So if uh, anyone has Hashimoto, or hypothyroid or suspects that you have a thyroid issue. Um, I teach you, I go much more in depth in thyroid types and something that I call the twofold approach for Hashimoto's. Our next one's actually going to be on January 16th. So I'll provide a link and you can post that and it's free. We have a Facebook group and a whole week of support and it's just like a really nice community and it's free. So, you know, there's- Yeah, Yeah. I'll definitely share that in the notes. So anyone who suspects or has a thyroid issue uh, should definitely join that. But um, I think that's everything. I really appreciate your time. That was very informative. And I really hope this helps others who've got thyroid issues, PCOS, maybe in thyroid together, uh, infertility and thyroid together, and maybe just kind of gets the wheels turning in the brain to get a little bit more things checked out and further press uh, for more bloods or maybe go further with who you want to work with like yourself would be a really really good option and um, so thank you again I will be back with another episode in the new year and um, I hope you all have a lovely lovely Christmas and um yeah we'll see you then thank you for listening to all the episodes this season I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and um, I think you can all take from it that Ina knows what her stuff around the thyroid. So she is running a thyroid mysteries webinar um, on the 19th of January. So she has kindly forwarded me the link on for you guys if you'd like to sign up to the free webinar. So this would be perfect for any of you if you are looking for more information around thyroid health and maybe it's the testing element, the diet and nutrition, lifestyle changes, supplements and more. with regards to the thyroid, it is massively overwhelming, especially if you feel you're suffering with an issue to do with it. So it can be good to get that extra bit of support. It is free and you can get access through the show notes.